Hello and welcome to another episode of Mind the Gap, the only podcast seeking sales and marketing alignment via Enablix. I'm your host, Nick Zeke Lopez, and joining us this week is Philip Brome. Philip, how's it going? I'm good, Nick. Great to be with you. Awesome. So, uh, Phil, everybody knows you. I think you're on the cover of People Magazine, uh, I think. <laughs> but for those that don't, for people that don't know Phil, can you give us some background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, so I am a senior PMM, uh, product marketing manager at uh, Unbabble. Uh, we're a machine translation business focusing on uh, translating customer service at scale. So basically helping companies interact with all sorts of uh, customers wherever they are and you know build trust and build relationships um, in a way that kind of meets them you know, where, where those people are culturally and linguistically. Um, so I've been at Unbabble for about uh, almost a year, scraping scraping a year, just 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 shy of that, and I've been in product marketing for about four years now. Uh, before that, was in was in sales uh, and SaaS. I'm hitting my my fifth anniversary in the SaaS space, which is kind of scary and satisfying at the same time. Um, yeah. But yeah, living living in Madrid, I uh, spent a long time in London, uh, but originally from the states. Yeah, you're kind of living the dream over over in europe right that's uh you you and that and by the way that's going to be our other podcast is how to successfully pull that off i think <laughs> well i mean it's it's a funny thing i mean the, the the pandemic has opened up so many different opportunities i as a pmm i really had this idea in my head that i had to be in the office and, and kind of getting those water cooler conversations and and so on and i think there's definitely some value to that for sure um but i think you know the pandemic has has made it clear that you know remote working is more of a possibility and you know no matter what your mind or what your role and that's obviously also the benefit of working in SaaS that allows for that so uh definitely very lucky but it's uh it's, it's fun to be able to, to test it out so yeah and you were sharing some really interesting thoughts on the pandemic prior to the podcast <laughs> no, i'm joking i'm joking uh, no no um what i what i where i actually want to start um, is the fact that you you came to PMM through sales, right? So like you said, uh, yeah. SDR and then account executive. And the interaction between product marketing and sales can be fractious or, or it could be you know, uh, more collaborative. I think yeah. creating, like having, being a PMM is all about, like you, when you start, when you're, when you're in that position, you have nothing but your ability to like kind of influence people and create process. Can you talk a little bit, having been on both sides, about uh, creating a culture of working together and not product marketing telling sales what to do and sales saying that product marketing isn't helping them? How, how do you get how do you get a better back and forth? Yeah, I mean, and, and and as you said, you know, having having come from that background, that's for me, that's that's been really helpful. Uh, first of all, just because it it helped me to kind of develop some pretty instant credibility with with commercial teams because they sort of it's like you know a secret handshake or something. When you say I used to be in sales, they're like they look at you differently somehow. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. that's like helpful. You can, you can, it's, I think it's the that, quota handshake. Oh, you carried quota. I carried quota. You carried quota. That, that's right. what you got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely get invited to more uh, to more after work drinks uh, once they know that I used to be in sales. So. Uh, that's that, that's a benefit, but but no, I, I think that the, the the key thing I think for anyone who doesn't work in sales to understand is that you know the sales team, especially in you know B two B organizations, the sales team is really the only function in a company that has to work with people to try to get them to do something that is maybe not necessarily obvious to the organization's benefit. And so what I mean by that is that you know if you're selling to company company X, as a salesperson, you've actually got to work with that person to to kind of create a shared point of view and a shared understanding. 
if I'm contacting someone in our product team or engineering team, we all have the same company mission, the same goals and so on. But a salesperson is doing pretty special work there to try to align, you know, your organization to the to the company that you're selling to. And that's that's a tricky thing. So I think starting off from that, you know, respect and that and that realization is is a really important way to to work with sales um, and to kind of create that empathy. But when it comes to actually, you know, uh, creating that culture of collaboration and feedback, I, I, I think, you know, it is really important to to spend time with the with the sales team to get to know what's on their mind, what are their challenges, um, what are things that they they care about, but then also to kind of deliver, you know, on on that and to kind of meet, you know, meet those pain points and, and, and help the sales team to actually, you know, uncover that. It depends on the size of the team, right? I like doing these one-on-one -on -one conversations with with the sales teams. You know, if it's if it's account executives or if it's BDRs, uh, I think that really goes a long way. But you know, ultimately, what I've what I found, especially more recently, is that actually, if there's not buy-in from the sales leadership, it's really hard to be honest to get these big changes made because culture is something that in many ways that does start at the top. So, kind of getting that alignment with the the, the CRO or the head of sales. And trying to understand, okay, what's important to you? You know, what objectives do you have? Um, and then showing, you know, showing your work, right? Like a math problem, showing how you do it, you know, actually delivering on 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 those pain points and those needs, I think creates that sense of trust. And it is the way that I've always seen it working in startups has been very important to develop that trust in that relationship. Process, I guess it depends, you know, on the on the company and, and sort of where you are and how much process is needed. Um, but that's that's kind of what I've seen it has, has worked very well. Well, and I think to just just to what you're saying, I think that there's, you know, we, I just spoke with Jason Oakley, um, senior director of product marketing at Clue, and it was all about this idea of product marketing, like anxiety or imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. because I, I think a lot of times like, OK, so what is the salesperson doing? They're going out and they are creating revenue, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so then as a product marketer, you come in and, you're, and it's almost like, all right, so what can you do for me? Like the salesperson's like, like, and, and I think even setting up a lot of that for a lot of PMMs, even senior PMMs can be scary because it's like, well, I don't know what I can do for you right now. What, mm -hmm. what do you need? And, and, and so it's almost like you're asking what they feel they don't have without promising anything because you, you're not in a place to do that at that point. Guiding that line can be tough. Yeah, for, for sure. And I, and I think the, the way to, I mean, the, the, the ultimate, you know, silver bullet that any PMM has and, and, and should should always be armed with is, you know, deep knowledge of the customer and the market, right? And and I think when you're going to a salesperson, they're they're often gonna think about, well, how did my last deal go? How did my last call go? You know, what was what was wrong with that with that specific instance? And you're it's always a very kind of, you know, micro conversation. It's it's or it's you're you're very much in the weeds. And I think as a PMM you've got to you've got to bring forward that that broader context or right? that broader understanding of what what this is all about so that when you do have those micro conversations and when you do you are talking more tactically you can always relate it back to the customer but then also you know showcase that knowledge because ultimately salespeople are doing what they can to to sell business and to and to close revenue and the more that you can always situate the the, the contribution that you're making or the, the the messaging or the whatever guidance you're giving around what's going to What's important to the customer and how you're going to help them to to win that business? Then I think you're 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 in a place where you can really command you know command the room and 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 actually create that create that closeness with the team. So that, so this is a little off topic, but but this is a question for you. If the PMN brings the knowledge of the customer, let's say uh, I guess it's two questions. One, do you feel comfortable hiring PMMs 
that don't have experience in your industry or with that user, right? Perhaps you're going from uh, someone that, that used to be a product uh, for a product marketer for databases and you're putting them in competitive intelligence or something like that, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like nothing there. And, and if you are, how do PMMs get that deep knowledge of the customer if they're coming in fresh and should they get that before talking to sales? Yeah, great, great questions. I mean, I do think it's partially down to seniority, and we might, you know, we might talk about this later around sort of how how product marketing is evolving. But I, I think you know, if you're if you're hiring, you know, someone someone junior or even even someone at the mid level, you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter. I think my personal view is domain expertise is it's probably less important. I'm really looking for people who yeah. are very curious and who are trying to uncover some patterns and you are very strong at figuring out, okay, what, you know, how do we articulate value that resonates with a specific, you know, customer group? And I, I really do think that's, that's industry independent or domain independent. I don't think you need to be a specialist in, you know, competitive intelligence if you come from, you know, the, the database world, for example. So I'm really looking for someone who is eager to solve problems and, and who's curious, really. That's, those are, those are super important characteristics. In terms of kind of going to the team, I, I think it, it depends on sort of where they're, you know, where they're starting at. I think every PMM, when they start in a new company, should talk to as many people as they can, obviously, especially in the revenue side and the sales side to understand what their world is like and, and, and just get a very clear view of, you know, what, what problems keep coming up and what are, what are persistent challenges. I think when it comes to the point of giving advice or, or giving training or giving enablement of some kind, I think you really at that stage need to be somewhat expert at, on the customer, on the market, or at least at least getting there, you know, you, you need to be know enough to be dangerous uh, at that stage because it it is where we're going to we're going to shine through. How to do that? I mean, there's so many different sources in, in, in terms of you know getting you know accruing that knowledge. Um, obviously, you've got you know informal conversations internally with with different stakeholders is is important. There's a number of amazing tools out there, you know, like like Gong or Chorus, where you can actually listen to sales conversations. I think that's an amazing uh, amazing resource to kind of understand how customers are reacting in real time uh, to the messaging or to the value propositions. Um, and then ultimately, you know, interacting with customers, you know, is the best. And actually having these conversations with them, what's working, what's not working, why did you buy, what else are you thinking about. What are your what are your specific pain points? I think if you can have as many conversations with customers you know, on a regular basis, that's going to kind of keep on uh, keep on you know enriching your your view of the market. And again, this comes back to curiosity, right? If you're not going to be curious, you're going to ask the same questions and maybe get the same responses and be a little bit you know these customer conversations will be a bit rote and a bit you know uh, they won't really help you. So um, so I think coming to that sort of being hungry every time, what does the customer care about? You know why should they care about your solution um, is a great way to to, to uncover you know the, those those specific points. I I personally found a really cute shortcut to all that, which is go from being the customer to being the marketer, like I did with Enablix. <laughs> 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 yeah. I uh, 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 results not proven. No, no, no. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, it, but you build up that you you feel like I that was one of the the. The good and bad parts about coming is I felt like, yeah, I was the I was the buyer, right? Like I know exactly what the buyers are thinking. And that's also a trap because I don't because I was one buyer and I was not like all right. of it. And so so you, you kind of learn that, you kind of get through that. Um, but but that's been an entirely different experience. Let's talk about how you measure the contribution that the product mm -hmm. marketing is making to the sales team. So so yeah. off the top of your head, how how would you measure if if what you just described is working well, if it's helping? Is it revenue going up? Is it leads? Is it like, well, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, it's always 
great if, if you can say I, I started in June and by the time that I finished these three programs in December, you know, revenue increased, you know, this much. I think that that's that's a that's a kind of a, a fantasy land for for many marketers that you know <laughs> we'd love to get to, but it just it's never that simple. So I would I would be very uh, I would be monitoring revenue and and how that's how that's how that's you know evolving over time. But I would I would be very cautious about tying your performance directly to revenue because ultimately you know your your salespeople are the ones who are you know on the hook for closing revenue and, and everyone else is there to either build a product or provide messaging or training or materials or assets to kind of put them in a position to succeed and and, and to win right and so they need to be accountable for for the actual revenue target so so that's that's kind of how i would, I would come down on, on on the revenue side but then i think there's there's certainly things that you know if you're specifically in b2b you know product marketing you know if you can look at things like you know, what's the average deal cycle length? Um, what's the what's the overall sort of level of confidence in the sales team? Um, you know, and, and kind of looking at how the how the time from stage to stage is evolving, because I think we obviously want to close, you know, business as, as quickly as possible. And we want to kind of move from stage to stage, um, you know, again, in, in good time. So I would look at almost second second order effects of, of revenue improving and, and maybe tying yourself more to that. Um, and, and in having having those kinds of goals, we at Babel kind of use a lot of stuff around OKRs, and so it's more about delivering on specific outcomes or specific specific goals that you know things that are maybe missing. You know, we need to launch a specific product. We need to make sure the team is enabled in this way. We need to you know build uh, you know competitive landing page. You know, these things we know are contributing, but it's it's very uh, it's risky to tie those things to revenue. I think. Yeah, and it's interesting how you know. The OKRs, the objectives, the key results. When you look for, it's almost two different mindsets. An objective mindset of if we do these things, we will expect good outcomes. To the results mindset of these are the outcomes we need to see, and I don't care how we get there. It, it can be different, especially the size of your team. I am interested though. You talked about deal length. You talked about you know time to close, time from stage to stage. Um, I you know nothing gets people to fight over uh, <laughs> quicker than than what stage deals it. But but it's stepping a lot into the sales enablement realm. Um, which yeah. you know, this is mind the gap. So we are squarely in a product marketing sales enablement world. Uh, do you do you see product marketing owning sales enablement? Um, and and how do you see those playing together? Yeah. So this is uh, this is something when I when I first transitioned to becoming a PNM, I was very adamant about sales enablement. I think it was because it was a, a natural kind of comfort zone for me uh, because I kind of knew you know I knew our customers. I, I I was very excited about doing that kind of you know, macro analysis and then translating it into, you know, enablement and so on. But I, I really think that the more that I've seen product marketers and, and also my, myself trying to do sales enablement, the more that I realize that it really is a specific function. I think you could have a sales enablement person working alongside or reporting into product marketing, but I really believe that this is a, a, a full-time job for, for you to be successful and to do it properly. And, and to be, you know, to be really good at it. Just in the same way that, you know, a, a general marketing manager could do aspects of product marketing. They might, they might do some messaging, they might launch some campaigns, but they're actually not doing product marketing writ large. The same way it's true for a product marketer doing sales and element, you know, they might do a few training sessions, they might, you know, provide a bit of, you know, guidance on how to sell or how to, what, what messages are really critical, but to do sales and element is a really ongoing, is an ongoing job. You know, you're you're constantly in the trenches, working with a sales team, making tweaks, doing learning and development is a huge undertaking. You know, and so I, the, the more that I, the more that I look at, it, the more I understand. It, I really see these as as you know, it's a handshake function, right? Product marketers are always working the sales enablement, but I don't think that 
PMM should be doing a, a full spectrum, you know, set of sales and demo activities because that is just a separate job, in my opinion. I see what you're saying. So it's not that a so you're saying a person shouldn't be responsible for product marketing and then sales enablement side of desk because sales sales enablement is its own thing. It's not like a it's not like a yeah. part of product marketing. How those things roll up is going to be different organization to organization. Could roll up to sure. sales, could roll up to marketing, whatever that is. But when you, like you're saying, like don't like do it. Like it's it's entire like yeah. sales. Enablement, you're going to call it sales enablement. You really got to be doing it. Don't be calling like hey here's a case study. Like that's not sales enablement. Sales enablement's much deeper. yeah. Yeah. So from, you know, I can, I can do a, you know, I can run a half an hour session on our on a new product that we're releasing and, and invite salespeople and walk them through it and, and answer questions and run through objection handles. But that's kind of scratching the surface when it comes to sales enablement, you know, and I'm not really, I, I think that's, that's a very uh, rudimentary level of sales enablement. I think a real sales enablement manager is working with sales to obviously ingest all the stuff that product marketing is giving them, you know, bringing it into their overall pitch and, and, and trainings and, and, and their approach to customers, um, but then doing the ongoing kind of measurement and, and monitoring and, and the, you know, scoring the sales team on, on their on their work. Prior marketing could do that. People who are in prior marketing tend to be very analytical and, and engaged on, on how things are performing, but your sales and person really is, in my opinion, uh, kind of an appendage of sales. Like they have to really understand the intricacies of sales and, and what it takes to go from stage one to stage two to stage three and and how to get the team to perform to a level that's that's going to be you know required to, to kind of keep deals moving and, and and go get to close i think that's a very separate not separate but it's 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 a distinctive science to product marketing right you know it's funny you're saying this we recently were talking with erin saris she was a senior sales content strategist her she was saying almost exactly what you were saying where sales enablement she said sales enablement people like like they're they're basically you know more like project management of hand project management within deals, like thinking about that. And she, she even said that like, you can't expect people in sales enablement to also create good content because similar to what you were saying, they're too into the, like they are handling so many things to then be like, Oh, also make the content of the salesperson is unfair to them. And is, is taking away how much they're doing. She was saying that yeah. enablement, people responsible for enablement should be paired with people responsible for sales content because enablement yeah. in itself is recognizing the need for, but then not having the time, energy, or strength to say, "Hey, here's this amazing piece of content," or this, uh, and that's, and you're kind of agreeing with saying sales enablement is such a thing. Don't also then try to make them responsible for product marketing because they can't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And also, yeah, just not fair to them because why should they have this deep knowledge of the product and deep knowledge of competitors on you know and how they how the solutions match up? You know, it's it's not their full time job where they can add value is really in, in making sure that the, the you know the wheels are greased and the team is. You know, really kicking ass. Um, if I'm allowed to say that uh, on this podcast, but but really, know, you know, we'll, really we'll, we'll see. We'll see if it stays on Spotify. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, so you're getting into something that I think about a lot, right? Which is so you know, in a lot of organizations, they hire a product marketer or they hire several, and they say, "Cool, so you're the people that do everything." That's what we hired you for. You're the people that know everything <laughs> about the product and the customer and the sales, and you're going to do it. And 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 they're the you know they're the great hope. Um, and and maybe and like maybe there are people that can do that. I don't know if you could do that. Maybe maybe you could do that. I don't know. But but I think it's it's endemic of the way that that people look at product marketing today. And I think for the past three years, obviously, I think that's going to change. And if you go back, I think people looked at product managers the same way. Oh, you're finally the one that knows the user and the buyer and how it works. Like I think we keep trying to to, to connect a lot of a lot of different things in one. 
where do you think that's going for, for, for product marketing? Is that sustainable? Is that what product marketing is? Like, like let me get your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> what you mentioned about, you know, PMM doing everything. It sounds like, it sounds like my first job interview as a PMM, you know, it's, uh, it's giving, <laughs> giving me, giving me flashbacks. No, because I think, I think this is really, you know, a, a challenge that it is improving in terms of organizations, better understanding, um, you know, what a PMM is meant to do and where they're meant to focus. However, you know, if you, if you read any of these, uh, any of these, you know, uh, these reports, uh, you know, the, the Product Marketing Alliance does a great one every every few months, or maybe I think it's once a year, perhaps, uh, about sort of how product marketing is viewed in an organization. You know, pretty much every year, I haven't seen, I've seen a bit of improvement, but it's still, there's still a lot of ambiguity about what product marketing is doing, and it obviously varies company to company, but we're making progress, but it's still not great. You know, companies still have these hyperinflated views of what of what PMM is meant to do um, in, in, the, in, in the business. So, we're we're getting there. Um, I do I do see that you know product marketers broadly speaking are becoming more specialist. I, you know uh, I was in the job market about nine months ago before I started in Babel. You know I was seeing a lot of PMM titles that were really focused on you know pricing or you know a, a competitive analysis product marketer or you know th those kinds of things where you're, you're sort of you know breaking apart different you know modules or components of product marketing and you're and you're creating a full time role around that. There's definitely something about getting that depth of experience that I that I think is is great for a PMM. But I think part of the fun and part of the value of having a PMM is someone who can actually juggle many different you know things at once and and, and kind of connect all the dots together. So uh, I think it's great if if you know you can bring specific skills and specific knowledge to the table. That's helped me certainly in my career where I've you know moved from moved from role to role. Um, but I think ultimately you know keeping that broad. Um, is is healthy i think for for the kinds of people you want to attract to product marketing and also the kind of the strategic value that product marketing can offer having said that i do think there's a few of those components and a few of those buckets that product marketing can probably stand to shed it's kind of like we just talked about sales enablement right i think kind of reassessing some of these things because pm just can't do everything right and even you know i'm seeing more stuff getting kind of like market intelligence i think that's fair you know market intelligence and market analysis sure pmm could do it but to really do it well, you might want to hire an agency or you might want to hire a full-time person or a consultant to do kind of very specific market intelligence for you. Um, so I'd almost love to see kind of doubling down on the on the table stakes of product marketing, like really focusing on, you know, positioning and messaging and doing amazing go-to-market, you know, doing some enablement, I suppose, or kind of, you know, broadly speaking across the company um, and things like pricing and packaging, certainly. But, but I think really keeping that core focus on what product marketing is meant to deliver, you know, deeply understanding the product deeply understanding the customer and the market that they're in um, and, and, and uh, hopefully keeping some of that variety in the role too. It's, you know, it almost reminds me of like, you know, there, it has the potential. So product marketing, you just listed a ton of stuff, right? So so if you yeah. look at, at all the different teams that product marketing interfaces with, it almost feels like, you know, you have 12 options you get to choose for. So like you said, if you choose competitive intelligence, you're not going to be creating case studies. Like, like, nope, like you, like you can only turn on so many and, and product marketing sit is, well, I think it's trying to get to like, how can we be the job that a person can do that is, that is that like, we are this, as you were talking, I was thinking about how, I don't know if you ever had this, uh, but as a kid, uh, they're like, oh, you take, you take a test or they look at your grades or whatever. They're like, you'd be good at being a lawyer or you'd be a good doctor or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. A firefighter or whatever that is. And I'm wondering, like, okay, like, like, what set of skills could you have where they're like, oh, you'd be a good product marketer? 
mm-hmm. is it curiosity? Is it intangibles like curiosity and, and understand what, what does that look like for you? Is it Matt? You said it's an analytical. Uh, uh, what, 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 what is that? Or is it easier to say who aren't product marketers? Uh, uh, what, what is it? What is that? Yeah, that's, that's an awesome question. It, the the answer yeah the answer might be actually who who isn't right for it because I I think that you know a good product marketer is someone you know who is curious as I mentioned earlier I think that's a critical part of it I think it's someone who is going to be uncomfortable oh, sorry is going to be comfortable with um, you know having a variety of, of work uh, and sometimes you know um, kind of you know to the extreme you know extreme level where you're kind of just constantly moving between different types of projects different kind of work. Some people don't want to do that, right? They want to get into the weeds on one project at a time and, and just really focus on that. Um, and I think someone who's very uncomfortable with with ambiguity, you know, ultimately. But you've got yeah. to be a good communicator. You've got to be a people person. I, I think, you know, obviously there's exceptions and, and so on. And again, depending on the kind of product marketing you're doing. But, you know, every every one of my jobs, I've, I've always worked for startups. You know, my ability to be successful in these companies and my ability to help the company has been very much predicated on my ability to communicate well to work with a lot of different kinds of teams to develop, you know, professional friendships in a sense. So I'm getting a lot of information from, from other people um, and just being comfortable to kind of keep on jumping through these different, you know, switching, switching focus and switching modes from competitive intelligence to you know, the next customer call to a, a training session. So there are a lot of intangibles, which I think is, can be frustrating. Uh, and even I'm frustrated as I'm saying that, because I would be great to, to point to some more <laughs> skills. But but I do think there is either sort of a, a mindset that you want to you want to have going into the job. Yeah. And that's and that's, by the way, when I when I start my self-help podcast, it's, it's going to be about uh, that ambiguity. <laughs> no, no, because it's so hard. And I think one of the things some of the most successful, talented people I've seen are being OK with things being bad. I think very yeah. few people are okay with things being like, yeah, these things are bad and I'm going to leave this bad thing and go to another bad thing. But because I, we don't have the time or energy or money to fix thing by thing by thing, which would be so much more satisfying probably. Yeah. Uh, but to leave a lot of things in ambiguity because we're, 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 we're plugging all the walls in the dam, but that's the best way to do it because I know we can afford to keep things at 60%, but this thing can't be. Um, and I think understand that ambiguity and understand what, you know, what can't fall, keeping, keeping the plates that you need to keep in the air. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, being, being happy with, with good enough, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist sometimes, but I think you do have to sometimes just walk away and say that was the outcome was achieved and end of story. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up here, anything to, to plug or anything you'd like to talk about? No, look, I, I think the only thing I want to say is just I would love to keep in touch with the community. You know, product marketers are such a fun, you know, friendly bunch. Uh, and I love I love connecting with people who, who are kind of working on product marketing problems or who are new to their product marketing career or thinking about getting into product marketing. Um, it's such a fun, uh, it's such a fun conversation. I find a lot of people are just very unconfident about getting into product marketing. So if that's you, uh, you know, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or if you just want to talk about product marketing um, or if you just want to connect, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, maybe you can post my, my LinkedIn profile on the, in the show notes, but, um, but yeah, that's just, just keep in touch. We will, uh, we will have a link to your LinkedIn profile on the, uh, the show page. So I think I want to mention is you have one of those LinkedIn profiles where you get access to more information about Phil after you connect with him. Uh, uh, so you, you get the picture, you get the, I don't know if you have that, but it's, it's a, it's a nice little privacy feature. I like, um, uh, <laughs> that was seeing your, and that was what originally threw me about you being in Madrid. Is I was like, oh, is this, is this Phil? <laughs> uh, to keep it, keep it uh, mysterious, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep it mysterious. It's actually a tagline under your profile. 
talks about hashtag keep it mysterious <laughs> um, all right uh well so that is all for this episode thank you so much for joining us uh it's been wonderful to talk to you uh thank you very much for coming on the pod um ladies and gentlemen philip Rowe. thanks nick that was fun This has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablix. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez. Thanks for listening.